0: Good morning, again. Open your Bibles to John chapter 6. We'll be in verse 35. need a Bible, raise your hand, we will get you one. All right, the word of the Lord, in uh, John chapter 6, verse 35, going through verse 40. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one comes to me, will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this word. Um, Just reading it is uh, an incredible blessing of assurance for your people. What an opportunity we have today to just gather together and be reminded um, that you have salvation for your people and that you will keep it and that you will raise us up on the last day. Lord, I pray that you would be with us today, that we would be good soil, that our eyes would be open and our ears open and our hearts receptive to your word. And pray for all those that are sick um, or recovering, Lord. Pray that they would um, be healed, Lord, that you would be with them, Lord, that, you would, uh, that they would rest in you. Uh, and Lord, protect this little church this winter from just the, the constant uh, storms of, of, of being sick, Lord. Um, help us to stay connected when we are sick through text or or email or, or the church app. Um, Lord, be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Josh, if you haven't already, can you throw this on the church app for those that don't have maybe Facebook or whatever? I think we're in for a long winter, folks, as far as sicknesses, especially if you have kids. <laughs> I think we are. I think... I think it's going to be one after another. So, it has been for our family, and then just from the, some of the text messages I got this morning, it's from people that already have kids that have already been sick and now they're already sick again. So, uh, but it's cool that we have technology and they can they can tune in or watch later. All right, so we are going to wrap up uh, this series on the doctrines of grace, uh, Calvinism, um, with the pea and tulip, uh, perseverance of the saints. Again, this one has been reworked to, I think, better reflect what it actually teaches, which would be preservation of the saints. So at least the P remains the same. I personally don't care what you call it. Um, I don't even have a preference myself. I'm going to refer to it as perseverance of the saints, just because that's how it's been referred to for a long time. But ultimately, it isn't this idea, and here's why it's been changed to, to be preservation of the saints, because Perseverance of the saints can, if we're not careful, make one think that they are the ones persevering in their own strength and their own power. Um, that's not what it's, it's declaring. It's ultimately, it is declaring that God is going to preserve his saints. And, and this, although there are groups of people that do think you can lose your salvation, uh, the vast majority of people, when it comes to the doctrines of grace, Tulip, Calvinism, um, are really don't get their their feathers ruffled over this one. A, a lot of people that aren't even Calvinists would, would call themselves one point Calvinist, which is is it's, it's actually illogical, but it's it's okay. Um, uh, this is the one that that the church, man, the church just loves um, and agrees the most uh, about. It is the logical and biblical flow of the doctrines of grace leading up to this point, all right, that we would be led to this beautiful and most wonderful conclusion that God will preserve his saints. Man is totally depraved, radically depraved. There is nothing good in man. There is no not good. There is no one good, no not one. The wages of sin is death. Uh, Christ, we, we, we talked about, even when he holds out salvation, he tells them they don't, they don't believe, they can't believe. Um, And yet God doesn't leave man in that state. God in his great love and mercy before the foundations of the world chooses to save some. Everybody deserves eternal judgment. That's God's justice. God in his mercy pulls out some before the foundations of the world. So you have mercy and justice. There is no injustice, all right? And then the son comes to accomplish the salvation for the ones that were chosen before the foundations of the world. So you have All of mankind go into hell. Then you have the triune God. They would call this the covenant of redemption, choosing to save some. We call them the elect. All right. Then in real time, the son is sent, puts on flesh. Jesus lives the perfect life for those people, dies a death for them. So he accomplishes salvation. And then the Holy Spirit draws the elect to the father, to the son. So you see the whole work of the triune God. The Father sends the Son, the Son comes, and the Holy Spirit draws, all right? Um, God then preserves the elect. All of that work, all right? The creation, um, the plan of redemption, the actual redeem- plan of redemption coming into fruition, the Holy Spirit then drawing God's people to himself, the ones that had been chosen before the foundations of the world, It would make absolutely no sense then that then God stops there. It would make no sense. Again, that does not sound, again, which is why we started with the doctrine of God, theology proper, that doesn't sound like the God we know. It doesn't sound like the God we know to be true that he would leave anything up in the air. Actually, God can't do that. There are certain things God can't do. And one thing he can't do like he can't change, right? He can't lie. Um, he can't not be sovereign <laughs> over creation. He can't not be sovereign over salvation. He can't leave things up in the air. He absolutely cannot do that. But even if he could, which he can't, it would make no sense that he would do that. It would be like a uh, and this is, you know, all illustrations fall short. This illustration probably will because it's off the top of my head. I don't even know what I'm about ready to say. Okay, it would be like you planning just this incredible event—Thanksgiving, Christmas—and then you you spend the money, you wrap the presents, you have the tree, you have the music, and then and then you just like, well, hopefully the hopefully the kids, I don't know, get up on their own. Hopefully they clean up after themselves. Hopefully, what, I don't know. It'd be like that. We don't even we don't make plans, and then when we get to the implementation, when we implement the plan, we then turn our backs on it and just hope it all works out okay. We don't. We don't do that. People that do do that drive me crazy. <laughs> but most of us don't do that. Normal people just don't do that. Well, God doesn't do that either, and that's why I know this is controversial to say, but I don't care. It's been said for a long, for hundreds of years by Spurgeon, and um, especially the, the reformers of, the, of Princeton, Warfield, and all these guys, uh, Hodge, that the gospel is, or is Calvinism. Calvinism just, it is the gospel. It, it starts you off with the bad news, that man is radically depraved and totally depraved, and then immediately goes into the doctrines of grace, that God chooses some, that God uh, sends his son and dies for those, that the Holy Spirit draws, and then that God perseveres or uh, preserves those people, does that sound like good news? I mean, that's the best news. And so Calvinism absolutely is the gospel. Now, this is not a defense of preservation of, the, or preservation of the saints or perseverance of the saints. Today, this is again, and I'm saying this for my own benefit because I'll fall into apologetic mode. This is just a proclamation for the people of God. This isn't, I'm not going to say everything there is to say about this doctrine. You might have questions. And usually the questions are, what if this happens? What if that happens? Well, you can ask those questions to me afterwards for sure. I can answer them for you, and so can several people in this room. I know Troy and Josh can. Um, I know Joseph can, and if I'm leaving you out, sorry. I mean, a lot of people can, can answer these questions. and We can also point you to helpful resources. But today, I want us just to just receive this glorious truth from God's Word that God sees it through, that he really is the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end of of, of everything, not just creation, but of redemption, that God is the author and the finisher of our salvation. That's what I just want us to, to rest in and rejoice in today, because I already know our default mode even people that don't like really, really struggle with it. Like I don't really struggle with assurance of salvation. I never really have. Maybe it's cause I'm an idiot. Maybe I should, should think about it more often. But when I do, it hits me like a ton of bricks. And I, I'm like, what the, what if that's a big, what if this isn't like, what if, you know, Michael Jordan would have dribbled left instead of right. Some game. Maybe they would have won. This is a what if? What if I'm really not saved? And so and 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 that can be whether it's just every once in a while. I, I know dear brothers and sisters kind of live in that. They think about their past life. They think about there's no they still struggle with there's no way God could forgive me for that. They think about what they did last week. A, a saved person wouldn't do what I did. A saved person wouldn't commit incredible, uh, grievous sins. Yes, they would. And yes, they do. They do it all the time. I mean, our Bible even shows us a clear picture with David. Our Bible shows us then, fast forward to the New Testament, Peter denying the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean, again, that we go, right? The people of God, I know I say this and everybody says it to just dot their eyes and cross their teeth. This doesn't mean we go commit gr- grievous sins because we, we, we can't, right? The people of God don't want to do that. But whether it's grievous or just like an eye roll at your spouse, we're not thrown back in to the fire. And so it is just beautiful assurance and peace and rest and hope that my, I didn't save myself by my works, and so I'm not going to unsave myself by my works. That the work, when Jesus says it is finished, it really is finished. When the word of God declares that Jesus is coming back for his people, he really is coming back for his people. And then we would say, well, how do I know that I'm his people? Well, immediately we go to fruit. But that's not what we do here at RTC. Fruit can help, but we don't go, well, you can know that you're saved by reading your Bible every morning. I mean, who would do that unless they're saved? You you could know that you're saved because when you sin, you're really sad about it. Who would do that? Okay. You know that you're saved because morally and ethically you're getting better. You're becoming more a better person. Oh, okay. But ultimately, and this is the beauty of it, and this is why it can be so hard to have assurance, even when the Word of God just declares it everywhere to the people of God, is that we can have assurance by just asking ourselves a question. Do I believe in Jesus Christ? Have I received Christ? And we immediately want to be like, how do I know that I know that I know that? I'm Assurance is so tricky. When people are wanting you to assure them in their salvation, it's not necessarily... I, I How do I know I'm saved? It's how do I know that I know that I'm saved? And then you help them, and then they're like, but how do I know that I know that I actually know? And then it's just this, it's just this dream within a dream type of scenario where you just get in this matrix of, of you, you doubt yourself. So how do I know I really believe in Jesus? I mean, I say I do, and, and I believe that I've received him as prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, I believe his word. Priest, I believe in his work. And King, I believe that he's conquered all of his enemies and all of my enemies, sin, Satan, and the world. I believe that, but how do I know I really do? Guys, that's we don't need to go there. The Bible just simply says if you believe, if you receive, if we if we agree with the word of God about who Jesus is and about how who we are and about what takes place in the grand plan of salvation. Then, then just receive these words of assurance. God is not asking you to know that you know that you know that you know you're saved. Because that, now guess what you're doing? Because it's, our, it's so, such our default mode. It is probably the greatest travesty of the fall is we're putting salvation in our works. We actually are not believing in Jesus. We're believing in guess what? Our belief. We're believing in faith. And faith doesn't save. We don't have faith in faith. We have faith in Jesus Christ. You do not have to know that you know that you know. You simply have to agree with the word of God, regardless of what your life looked like today or, or yesterday or, or 10 years ago, regardless of what it's going to look like tomorrow, regardless is if you believe and have received Jesus Christ, you can rest in all this all these doctrines, that Christ is for you. And so in John chapter 6, I mean, I wanted us to, I just want us to get to a place where today we can just receive. Like, I know the doubts and some of the stuff comes rushing back in, but just for, for, for a second, just put it aside and just trust Christ. And, and by trusting Christ, you trust his word. And look how straightforward his word here is in John chapter 6. I'm just going to walk through it quickly. All right, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. He's not talking about eating and drinking. He's talking about life, spiritual hunger, spiritual thirst, eternal life, salvation, redemption. And You might experience this, but he's saying it's, it's, not, it's not true. Again, you might think you're thirsty. You might think you're hungry, again, in a negative way. But no, you'll never be hungry again. You'll never be thirsty again. You have Christ. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone that the Father gives me will come to me. Have you come to Christ? And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. Oh, believe it. He's never going to cast you out. You will not commit the impartable sin. You've received Christ. Receiving Christ is to believe in the Holy Spirit's testimony about him. He will never cast you out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Here's what we're going to find out. God is doing one thing, all right? Now, yes, he's doing a million things, but it's all under the umbrella of one thing, and that is he is building his church, and he is unstoppable in doing so. As we discussed last week, he is the undefeated heavyweight champion of the world. Nothing is getting in the way, not even you, not even your own faults, not even your own thoughts, not even your own sins, not your worries, not your doubts, not your lack of assurance. Look at this. This is his will. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. There is no perchance here. This is happening. This is the will of God, the decorative will of God with all of the force of the power of God, eternality of God, infinity of God, the omniscience of God, omnipresence of God, Immutability, impassibility—you name it—all of that is behind this. This is not well. This is His will, and I'm trying to do. Jesus is just trying to do His best, and then the Father's gonna—he's gonna—he's gonna do His best to make sure this plan comes to fruition. And put, but He might lose. Uh, it's gonna—I mean, uh, three quarters of the people. No, no, no. There's none of that here. This is—this is absolutely happening. It's happening right now. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who sees the son, look at this, and believes in him will have eternal life, not temporal life, eternal life. Not have eternal life, but then lose eternal life. That's not eternal life. That, that, would, that would be, that's, that's temporal life. That is is masquerading as eternal life. No, we will have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. It's the simplicity of the gospel that we love, and it's the simplicity of the gospel that sometimes can drive us nuts because we want to see and know that we know. We want to see, we we see, we believe, but we want to believe that we believe. We want to see that we can see. We want to smell, touch, hold on to, point to something other than Christ. We want something tangible, something we can hold in our hands, something we can check off. And all this will of God, all right, the will of God is all wrapped up in this, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. That's it. So simple, so beautiful. But sometimes it just can, it, it, it involves trust and faith and, and rest and hope and peace we, and even in our own power of strength, we, we don't do any of that very well. We're, we're believing somebody that is really for us. And it is so hard to even in our closest relationships in life. And I mean closest relationships. I'm not just talking about best friends, buddies, you know, marriages, children with their parents and parents to their cho- It's just so hard for us to believe that somebody is really for us because most of us have dealt with so much pain and suffering at the hands of other people, most of their lives. And even if we haven't, we are always afraid that it's right around the corner. And, and so we're just, we're, we're the suspicion. It may not be built in. It probably is part of the fall of just other people. You know, we, we have a kind of a right to be suspicious of other people because we're all sinners. But I mean, when, when we're still just suspicious of just even the people of God, it's a travesty, but it, but it makes sense. It's hard for us to trust people. And so it's hard for us to trust God. And yet it's so simple. God knows, though. And so he just, he just relays this same message over and over and over to the people. Now, I don't want to get eye-rolled by Elijah this week, so I cut the verses down a little bit. Because he, he comes up here. I'm going to tell you a quick two-second, ten-second thing. When he comes up here and sees that I have the 40 mark, I've hit the 40 mark, he shakes his head. I can just mind bullets start flying at me. So I'm trying to go under 40. But even in doing that, there's plenty of there's plenty of just reiteration of this truth that God, God's got you. He's not going to lose you. You never had him, he's always had you. Before the foundations of the world, he's not gonna now lose you. I mean He's just, it's silly to think that, and so, but God knows us, and so he just pounds it in and pounds it in, and he loves to. He doesn't like, oh, they're doing it again. They're doubting. No, he just loves to just remind his people of his grace and his mercy and his love. He loves to assure his people, and so in Psalm 10, 102, I mean, we hear this. You are the same, and your years will never end. Your servants' children will dwell securely and their offspring will be established before you. And the reason I wanted to start there is because it again grounds us in the doctrine of God. Why? Well, we could talk about love and we will, and we could talk about mercy and we will, we could talk about grace and we will and the goodness of God. But one of the coolest things when we think about you know, eternal security and perseverance of the saints and preservation of the saints is the fact that God doesn't change. Praise the Lord. If God could change, He could change for the better, or He could change for the worse. Both of those are frightening. If God could change, then you could lose your salvation because maybe if God could change, then God also was an emotional like being. And he, he was having a good day yesterday, and so you were saved, but he had a bad day today, and so now you're not. Or you were good yesterday, and so you're saved, but you were bad today, and now you're not. No, God does not change. Therefore, his love and his mercy and his grace does not change. Therefore, the gospel does not change. Salvation doesn't change. We change all the time. But God does not change. You, you might, remember, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of the subtitle of the book, Rest by Theocast. It's uh, faith versus faithfulness, and I love that. We're not saved by faithfulness. We're not saved through faithfulness. We're saved through faith. We're saved by grace through faith. My sheep hear my voice, John 10. I know them and they follow me. I give them, again, here we go, eternal life. And they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. We call this the double clutch, but it's actually a triple clutch because you can't separate the works of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit ultimately. They call that inseparable operations. We have this triple clutch. This verse shows us the double clutch that the Father and the Son have us. Well, who's overcoming that? And we can go, well, Satan's not, Man, man's not, but we can sometimes walk like we will. Like, well, we'll, we'll be the ones to undo our own salvation. No, you will not. You don't even, we, there's, no, there's no headway even. This isn't like, yes, God is is just the most powerful, but he's the most powerful just of another being. No, God is powerful. His being is, he's, Satan's not 99% as powerful as God. Satan is as powerful as God to you, to, to God as you are. To an ant. There is, there is no, there's no, the gap doesn't get, it, it, doesn't, it isn't like this. Here's God and here's you. Here's God and here's Satan. You know, here's God and Satan and all of us aren't, see, but God's still stronger. No, it, it's just God no, there is no, there is no no one's even challenging God. There's no headway. There's no struggle. You have the struggle. God doesn't have a struggle. Father, I want those you have given to me uh, do we think the Father answers the prayers of Jesus? If he ever answered a prayer in the affirmative, whose prayer would it be? Yes, okay? Look at this assurance. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. Jesus wants his people to be where he is at. Do you think they will be? Yes, we will get there because he will get us there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a, here we go, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, all right, that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Does that sound like that's going away anytime soon? It's no, of course it doesn't. No one's going to undo this. The inheritance is imperishable. The inheritance is undefiled. The inheritance is unfading. The inheritance is being kept in heaven for us, in heaven for us, and right now we're being guarded by God's power. No one is overcoming that. In him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We have all these promises of what God, Jesus came to do, what, what God's gonna do, but then we, we, we see that, what he's doing right now. And we see that he's guarding us by his great power. We see that he's given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment. Not many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. This is out of Hebrews. But because he, Jesus, remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. There... This is the only way you could lose your salvation if Jesus is not the priest and somehow his work wasn't actually finished. And we know that's just silly talk, all right, that he's no longer on the throne, that he's no longer uh, interceding for us. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. He saves us completely. Those who are justified are going to be sanctified and are going to be glorified. There is no undoing somewhere. The chain will not, they call it the golden chain. There is no, there is no, the golden chain will not be broken. We are saved completely. Matthew 25, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another. Just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Chosen before the foundation of the world. Kingdom prepared before the foundation of the world. Before the world was even created, there is nothing that has been created in the world that has the power to undo that. Nothing. I mean, God would know what that would have been anyway, and then he wouldn't have created it, right? (laughs) I mean, if you have this magnificent plan, do you create, you have it, you want it to go perfectly, but over here you're secretly sabotaging it, that would make no sense at all. That's like, would be a form of schizophrenia. And our God is, is anything but a schizophrenic. So he creates all this and has this beautiful plan, the plan of redemption, the covenant of redemption between the triune God before the foundations of the world. Nothing that has been created then is going to undo that because of the creator-creation distinction. The creator is absolutely never going to be overcome by his creation, ever. So much so that this gap, I mean, you can't even describe the gap because there is no gap. The, the, The difference between the power of God and anything that he has created is so far that it, it it's, it, it's it would, I guess the word is infinite. You would never be able to get to this place where you start to see like, oh, that's how little power the creation has compared to God. No, the creation has no power compared to God. Certainly no power to undo the plan before the foundation of the world. Certainly no power to undo the kingdom that God has prepared for his people before the foundation of the world. And the last one I'll read is the, is, is the one, it's the golden chain. Romans 8. We know that all things work together, help us, Lord, to know. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Those he foreknew, remember, foreknew, foreloved, chose. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the good thing that's being done in our life, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, here we go. He so all those he predestined before the foundations of the world to be saved, he chose. He also called in real time. And those he called, he also justified, all right, saved from the penalty of sin. And those he justified, he also glorified, saved from the very presence of sin. There is, is, there, there is. it's he's so sure that it's being spoken, and I know you hear this every time a preacher reads this verse, that it's spoken about in the past tense justified, glorified. And so again, here we are with application. What is the application? You guessed it if you thought about it. It is assurance. It is not to go run and do something today. There's probably plenty to do today. Plenty that the Lord wants you to do. What I want you to do and what the Lord wants you to do when you hear the words that we have read today together is simply to be assured. To rest. To to hold on to as uh, uh, earlier this week going through the, the devotion, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lord, I believe. Help me to believe. Lord, I'm assured. Help me to be assured. Lord, I'm resting in this. Help me to rest. Lord, I trust you. Help me to trust. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are right now being saved from the power of sin. And you bet your bottom dollar one day we are going to be saved from the very presence of sin. That's Romans 8. And if you, I know that you know that no one's going to undo that, but sometimes we think no one will. Not the world, not sin, not Satan, but sometimes we think we will. That we'll undo it ourselves. You, 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 will, not. Yeah. you will not. You will not do that. No, no matter, and I, I don't even have any reservations saying this. No, no matter what happens in your life, no matter, no, no matter your good days or your bad days, no matter your triumphs or your temptations, the, the worst sin that you've ever done, it's not going to undo it. The worst sin that you will do, it's not, not going to undo it. It's not. And I know you hate it. I know you feel guilty about it. And I know you think that it can be true for everybody but for you, but that, that's, that's folly. That's foolish thinking. I love you, but it's foolishness. You're not going to outdo God. Your sin is not going to outdo God's mercy for you. Absolutely impossible because his mercy is infinite. Your sin is, is bad. It's, it's powerful. It's damaging. But it doesn't have infinite power, infinite strength. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. The one who has the Son has life. I have written these things, John says, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you know 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 that you know. But that you know. And how do you know that you have eternal life? By stop looking in the mirror, looking, looking. By stop looking in the mirror and look to Christ. Where can I find Christ? Where can I look to Christ right here? His words. Believe his words. What, whatever the mirror says. Could say true things, could say bad things or wrong things. Whatever that says, look to Christ. That's how we know that we have eternal life. Once we start going down this road, this mind trip of, of wanting to know that we know that we know, we are now, we are now putting f- faith in faith. We are putting faith faith. And works is what we're doing. And Christ says, no, just look to me. Believe in me. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Did you hear that? The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children also heirs. So the Spirit testifies with our spirit. How does he do that? Well, you will have warm fuzzy feelings, and you'll know that you're saved. Really? That's weird. Sometimes I have those. A lot of times I don't. So, is the Holy Spirit testifying to my spirit that I'm saved when I feel good about it all? But then when I don't, he just where'd he go? He just is like let me just mess around in misery for a while. No. Now we may have good thoughts and good feelings and good days and bad days. I mean like emotionally, we may just like really be assured in our thoughts in our brains that we just know that we we know that we're saved. Well, praise the Lord. But what if you don't? Does that mean the Holy Spirit quit testifying to you? No. The primary way the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit, okay, that we are indeed the children of God is right here. It's in John chapter 6. It's in John chapter 10. It's in Romans 8. It's all over the word. The Holy Spirit wrote the book. And he's testifying to our spirits that these words are true. These words are life. These words are eternal life. And so this closing ultimately is a closing for the whole series. That we would rejoice in the Lord. That we would boast in the Lord. That we would give glory to God. That we would rest in the Lord. That we would be assured of salvation. Because salvation is of the Lord from start to finish. He will see us through, through pain, through sorrow, through suffering, through worry, through doubt, through fear, through temptation, through sin, through grievous sin actions on our part. He will see us through because he's conquered sin. He's conquered Satan. He's conquered the world and he's done all that on our behalf. And there was never a doubt that this was ever going to happen. And you may doubt, but God is not doubting. And so we praise the Lord from whom all blessings flow. When we think about salvation, your salvation is not your salvation. It's God's salvation for you. You when you get off of the that I'm trying to save, OK, I didn't save myself, but I'm maintaining, I'm keeping. Once you get off that, there is just a bountiful rest of rest and trust and peace awaiting you. And, and, and that road to rest and peace, I mean like emotional health, you're not even on that road yet. You haven't even started that journey yet if, if if you're trying to know that you know that you know. If you're trying to keep salvation by your good works. But once you get a good glimpse of the doctrines of grace, then you do see that how beautiful and why they're called the doctrines of grace. Elijah, you can come up. And so, look, I'll read two more things. I'll try to do it in less than four minutes so it doesn't hit 40 while Elijah's up here. Brothers and sisters, Paul says, consider your calling. Cool. That's what we've been doing. We've considered our calling. Let's consider it together one last time, just for today. We'll consider it again next Sunday. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. And here we go. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And boasting in the Lord, my dear friends, is not just, not boasting in the Lord is not just simply boasting in your works, like, like it's just so obvious. Boasting in yourself and in your works is going to these places where you are trying to know that you know, that you know, that you know. Now look to Christ. Here's the golden chain again, and then look what Paul does. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God who were called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. I love it. Look what Paul does though, right after this. What then are we to say about these things? Thank you, Paul. What are we supposed to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or your own brain or your own sin or your own temptation or your own worry, doubt, and fear, no. As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life Nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Be assured, rest, look to Christ. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Christ. We love you because you first loved us and you have made that plain and clear these last few weeks. Thank you, Lord. Amen.